This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Come in, come in, come in. Hello, this is Scott Wells for TheMagicWordPodcast.com. This is a very special episode this week here as we celebrate the month of Halloween and everything that is spooky and goes boo. This is our Halloween episode as we approach All Hallows' Eve on October 31st, and we have something special for you, which is an interview with a vampire. Yes, this is an amazing conversation we have with someone who has a kind of a lifestyle, I guess, is the best way of putting that. He has certainly taken on the demeanor and the character of a vampire. This episode is really a study in character development and the commitment to that character. There are a lot of things discussed here this week that has to do with not only that character development, but also living that lifestyle. What is that like? Where do these people go and talk with each other? How do you find your costume? How do you put that together? How do you find the right kinds of effects that would fit that character? We also go into a lot of discussion about horror films, and we even talk about building monster models when we were children. We cover a pretty wide gamut of interesting topics here this week, and I think that you'll enjoy everything we have to say. It is not, again, your typical conversation, but this, again, is not your typical kind of magician, uh, nor your typical kind of magic. This is something that is a bit different, and again, perfect for Halloween. Since last week we had an interview with a witch, this week we give you an interview with a vampire. So please welcome my guest, Don Deitch better known as Vlad, here on The Magic Word. Well, this is the spooky time of the year, and so that's why I thought this would be the most ideal time to bring to you Vlad. Now, let me just back up a little bit, and we're going to talk a little bit (laughs) with this gentleman about his character of Vlad. That's Don Deitch, and he is someone who has developed a a fantastic persona and has uh, quite an interesting uh, background in magic that is well worth us getting into here today. So let me first of all say, I'm going to be calling you Vlad throughout this thing, uh, rather than Don, because you prefer (laughs) to go by that anyhow. So hello, Vlad. Welcome. Greetings and salutations. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The way you put that, thank you for it. sounds like the devil. Should I have let the devil through the door? <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> too, <laughs> you're killing me. Yeah. Maybe literally. Yeah. So uh, you have, it was interesting as we were talking a little bit earlier, I didn't know, but you kind of got started with Jeff McBride and going to one of his early mist, magic mystery schools. So tell me a little bit about how that you met up with Jeff. I met Jeff through, uh, I was doing special effects and makeup at a haunted attraction and the gentleman that ran the haunted attraction was good friends with Jeff when he lived in Goshen and uh, he said you need to meet this gentleman named Jeff McBride and I said okay you know I don't know him I didn't know anything about him at the time and uh, Jeff goes well you know might be might be interested in becoming a magician 
Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I didn't think you could just become a magician. I said, I thought that, you know, you said it sort of had to be the seventh son of the seventh son, or, <laughs> or they bring you out to the sacred grove by candlelight. Yeah, and, you, and Jeff goes, I really wish it was that a, way. A blood, blood sacrifice <laughs> and all that kind of thing. <laughs> so he said, I'm doing this experimental thing. This was before the actual first mystery school. Uh-huh. And he said, I'm going to bring some people together, and we're going to go to this retreat, and we're going to talk about magic theory. And, you know, I was very new to magic at the time. And I said, this sounds fantastic. And uh, he goes, oh, and uh, Lisa Mena and Jade will be there and Mundaka and Vitor Lupo and, and Eugene Berger and Max Maven. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but so, you didn't know who they were at the time, though, either. I didn't know who they were until I was, you know, sat, sat amongst them for five days. And, in, uh, you know, and they talked about what they, you know, did and, and their theories about, you know, and their performances and things like that. And, you know, I learned from them very early on what, you know, should be sort of the courtesies of magic right. and uh, etiquette of magic and things like that from them, just from chatting with them in person. So Interesting. Going back just a minute, I guess before that, we were talking about haunted things. Mm-hmm. I remember talking with Stuart McDonald, and his he and his wife Lori had haunted houses that they were doing for a long time, which ultimately kind of led to his award-winning program that he was seen around the world and presented at FISM as well as Penn and Teller Foolish and everything and many people who are listeners are familiar with his his show but mm-hmm. again it's his act that he has performed is like he's in a haunted house mm-hmm. so he had, comes from a haunted house background because they spent the whole month were you big time into hauntings like that with haunted houses or what did you do early on I was interested in horror in general and mm-hmm. then I got interested in uh, doing the haunted house which is a haunted attraction now they call it um, and I was, I started by doing special effects makeup, which was old school special effects makeup, which is building up on a face with, you know, cotton and latex or mm-hmm. using light and shadow with the lighting to, uh, old school do the, you know, Bella Lugosi type imagery right. rather than the, you know, foam latex, things like that. And then I learned how to do lighting and, and. Uh, what led them to introduce me to Jeff was we started doing illusions in the haunted house with, you know, the 50-50 type thing where a girl would transition into a corpse and the old sideshow carnival type thing. Sure. And they go, well, you're doing illusions now. And I go, okay, I just thought I they were. I guess I am. I yeah, didn't I, know that. I'm like, I thought they were haunted house gags rather than like magic illusions. You know, later on I learned they were old school magic illusions. But, right. You know. Like Pepper's Ghost, you mm-hmm. mean, kind of things and exactly. all that. Into. Yeah. Well, we did start talking a little bit earlier. I keep going back and then back again. So even mm-hmm. when we were younger, and you and I both have a passion, had a passion as a youth mm-hmm. uh, for monster magazines and that kind of a thing and makeup then as well like we were talking about and and we both had built those Ravel models of mm-hmm. Frankenstein and everything yep. I started you? I started earlier on with the Aurora kits that were before the Ravel ones and I oh, I was yeah. one of the lucky ones that actually wow. my parents let me get the actual like rare and elusive guillotine model that hardly anyone had. Really? Was it like a real working kind of? It was a, like a little plastic guillotine sure. that had the thing, and you would you would put the little victim on there and slide him forward on the table <laughs> and raise the thing up, and the head would fall into a basket. <laughs> and parents loved it. That's why they like banned it. <laughs> Let's get this future serial serial killer going right now. <laughs> but they didn't learn anything from that because they banned that. And years later, they had what were called monster scenes, mm-hmm. and it had uh, Doctor Deadly and the victim. 
and Vampirella, and they had a hanging cage that had spikes in it that you would put the victim in, and a pendulum, and all I kinds don't remember of those. Yeah, they were they were great. They were <laughs> wow. Now were those the same kind of things in which they were plastic models yeah, you'd click exactly. together and mm-hmm. or actually had to glue together back when you'd? Well, the monster scene ones snapped together, so okay. they were even easier for you to play with. For you know, even but, smaller kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get them in early. That's right. <laughs> Teach them early. Did you have to paint those like we did the Ravels yeah. as well? Yeah, they were all a sort of, you know, generic gray or green or, you know, some kind of a... Which I always found odd because when you'd got like the the Godzilla or the King Kong one, mm-hmm. most of the time they came in some kind of really weird fluorescent color. It was like King Kong came in like some kind of a weird purple and Godzilla was like sort of a green, you know, green. Green plastic but, before yeah. you painted it, sure. Yeah. It, it, was, weird. it was like sort of like, shouldn't it be a neutral color if you're going to try and make Godzilla? Uh-huh. You know, it shouldn't be metallic green. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Speaking of which, I was watching an episode of Sven Gulli during Halloween, and he was talking about how when Frankenstein with Lon Chaney, I'm sorry, it was, it was Lon Chaney was the first Frankenstein? Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff, mm-hmm. sorry. Boris Karloff was, but it's black and white. Mm-hmm. And when they were transferring to color, they didn't know what the color was and mm-hmm. about how that it turned green. Do you yeah. know the story? Well, they had the whole thing. It was like they were going to actually shoot it at first in color. Mm-hmm. And then they found they felt that, like, the makeup was too horrific for the time. Oh. I mean, there are reports of, you know, Karloff going into the canteen and sitting down and eating and people moving away to other tables because they couldn't be <laughs> near him. too scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. But even when you watch, you know, the color transition's weird because when you see pictures from the Munster set, and the Adams family set, a lot mm-hmm. of the Adams family set, like some of the things are pink. And you never think of like there being pink in the Adams family house because it was in black and white. But the black and white picked up the pink better than it did other colors. For the Technicolor when they when they went to, to that to color on Well they went from like the you know, the the Adams family is originally in black and white. Yes, yes. You know, so right, like right. The, on the set the pieces were some of them were pink oh i see what so, you're saying so the the gradients of the grays and yes. blacks and the shadows work better with the pink so much like for an example i had heard when they filmed psycho that they found for the blood scene swirling mm-hmm. down the the drain in the shower was actually chocolate syrup mm-hmm. yep right yep hitchcock used like hershey's chocolate syrup. hershey's chocolate yeah, yeah that's what i'd heard because yeah. it looked better it did. It yeah. showed up better in black and white. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, some of those things we forget. You know, how does light... I, I spent a long time doing a, a... It was supposed to be a girl that was in a funeral scene we had in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And I spent a long time doing detailing make, makeup on things, not knowing the light that was going to be in the room. Oh, boy. And I went down there and I'm like, this is all washed out. You not can't work see at all. any of the details. And then I reworked it. And I, I think I got one of the highest compliments I ever got because one of the friends of the guy that ran the haunted house owned a funeral parlor. Oh. And he came through and saw the girl in there in my makeup, and he goes, <laughs> I have to tell you, she actually looks dead, and I would know. <laughs> <laughs> she looks dead. Good job. She looks dead. <laughs> so when you were young, did you have a desire or a passion to maybe go to Hollywood and maybe be a... I did. Makeup I, artist? I, I, well, I didn't want to be. I wanted to do horror films. You wanted to actually sort of, be behind the camera. Yeah, I was. I was sort or of like wanted to be the horror. You know, Bella Lugosi or Vincent Price. Yeah. Um, I remember early on one of my early teachers. You know, and I, I laugh today because I've actually been in 
a couple of low-budget horror films and mm-hmm. some off-Broadway vampire productions. And uh, I remember early on in elementary school, and, and it was one of those, what do you want to be when you grow up? And yeah. I, go, I want to do horror films. And she said, no, 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 pick something realistic. <laughs> I go, And I turned and I looked at her and I go, oh, you mean like president or an astronaut? <laughs> Smart ass kid. <laughs> yeah. I'm being as realistic of what I really want to do. Yeah, that's I'm right. Like, I've done it, so <laughs> yeah, that's right. That that is funny. <laughs> that is funny. But did you end up going to Hollywood then? To never? No, did... I, I stayed locally. I you know the, the low budget horror films I did was a trauma production in, Not in, in New York, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, yeah, in New York, and and some uh, low budget like sort of video things in in new york and then i did a couple of vampire things off broadway in new york and uh i actually got to like doing magic i was actually contacted from mgm studios because they were looking for a magician Mm -hmm. to do uh clive barker's vip party at webster hall Hmm. and they said well we can't have a regular this is for clive barker and the release of lord of illusions so we'd like a magician to come and and entertain clive barker so mm-hmm. I, I got contacted about that. So. Were there some other celebrities from the movie? Uh, yeah, there was uh, Fomka Jansen. There was, she was a Bond girl sure. that was there. And uh, the gentleman, I forgot his name, that was in uh, Quantum Leap. Um, yes. Yeah, I know. He I know. was there. He was the boy with the green hair when he yeah. was a child also. Yeah. Um, they were both there. And it was mm-hmm. like the big thing they tried to impress me is, you know, they go, well, you know, you're doing a – you know, I had chosen to do was my first foray into illusions, uh-huh. and I decided that I was going to do a cremation. So this wasn't just walk around. You were doing a stage show. No, I did a state a big stage wow. show, and they were like, "Well, if you're going to do a cremation, Clyde Barker is hand painting the backdrop, so there better not be anything that like goes towards those like very expensive hand created uh, like." Uh-huh. So I did the thing, and it was unfortunately I. I learned my lesson and and sort of had a very short run with illusions because (laughs) i didn't realize like when i retooled the cremation that the cremation is designed for cheerleaders or four foot ten like young girls Mm -hmm. because in my mind if it's a cremation the male vampire should be the one that gets cremated and killed right so now i have to retool this cremation bed to be six foot tall and you know about five feet wide, which changed all of the internal dynamics. Sure. And now we're using you know almost like half inch plywood and like you know rods and steel versus picture frame things to do it. And it ended up being about a, a four hundred pound cremation. Oh my gosh! You know, and we got to Webster Hall and found out they had no elevator, <laughs> so it had to be carried up three flights of stairs. And I'm like, and you yeah. did with my me and my road crew so yeah. it was like my gosh so, so i was like learned. you know what one shot only and like we're done did you just leave it and uh i brought it home and it was sort of like I ended up having it a number of years and then uh michael no. carbonaro borrowed it to do a production really? someplace with it and i and it was sort of one of those he borrowed it and i never really struggled to get it back i was like you have it it's your job to get it back tag you got it <laughs> you're it i go if you ever want to send me anything back send back the corpse that's with it and that's about all I wow so was that the only illusion that you did or did you have like only a big, satan's you know, chair or anything no i didn't have any of that just because i was sort of like i i did that for i you know i had we built it for the one purpose to do for the show uh-huh. there and i just 
after that, I sort of lost it. And I, I went from, you know, doing close-up, bizarre, which I never liked really the term bizarre. So when I was at the first um, mystery school, mm-hmm. I came up with the term gothic. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't like bizarre. Because when you tried to sell bizarre back in the day, people that were booking you went, we don't know what bizarre is. Mm. And it took way too long to explain it. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they went, so it's like biting the heads off chickens? I go, no, that's geek magic. But it's entirely, you know, and it was just a, a way too long of a discussion you'd have to have. Right. So I said, you know, what what do I want to clarify as my persona? And what am I trying to come across as an image that immediately brings to mind what I'm trying to sell as a show? And I said, well, gothic, because, you know, gothic literature and the Hammer films sure. and all of that. I said gothic. So I was like, gothic magic. You know? hmm. Well, it would seem to make sense also as far as everyone knew back in the 80s what a vampire mm-hmm. has been. Because when Bram Stoker wrote that, when was Dracula written? 1880. Something like that? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's been around for a while, my point. Mm-hmm. And so. One of had, the only books that's never gone out of print. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Do, have you ever met any of the people who have starred in some of those horror classics? Not the not the larger production ones. Some of the ones that have done, like, you know, sort of the lower budget, like, vampire films and things okay. like that. Okay. Have you ever so. met Vampira? No. You no. know, the lady who. I don't yeah. know. She's still around. No, she's dead. But she no, di- oh, that's right. Yeah, she did she die died. not so long ago. Yeah. Take that back now. Yeah. yeah. I never got a chance to meet any of the classic people. You know, it's like I always really sort of, you know, my, my favorite is, you know, if you if you could meet anyone ever in, you know, your favorite, yeah. I would have said Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't do really any known vampire. He did the Monster no. Club where he turns into a vampire. But yeah, but he did House of Wax and. Yeah. Uh, House on Haunted Hill is my House, favorite. Yep. No, no, I might as well. <laughs> funny thing about Vincent Price is after my wife and I were married we were talking about uh, actors I guess and she said my favorite my my ideal man men first of all is like Arnold Schwarzenegger Liberace and Vincent Price those are three of her favorites for for a variety of different reasons you know (laughs) I mean many people don't even you know they think of him you know as the the guy from House on Haunted Hill and they didn't know Mm -hmm. that you know he was a a culinary person that had Mm -hmm. a, a cookbook and he actually for a while was the one that was picking out art for the Sears catalog. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah there was I a knew whole, he was an artist, like, but I didn't know he picked out. It was the whole, like, Vincent Price collection. He huh. would, like, actually pick out paintings, you know, so, you know, so-and-so could buy, you know, these famous works of art, like, and have in their very own home. Hmm. And he was the one that said, well, you should reproduce this picture and this picture. <laughs> wow. That's, that's kind of interesting, yeah. certainly. Have you collected any of uh, some of the photos or autographs or anything like that? I have like some autographs of uh, Vincent Price. I have um, Bela Lugosi. I have Boris Karloff. Um, I have a actual piece that came from the Forey Ackerman collection, a piece of Bela Lugosi's cape from Dracula. That's pretty very, cool. Very, very, very tiny, but it's still a piece of it. Right. You know, so means something to me that it's you know actually own a piece of with it. a certificate certificate mm-hmm. of authenticity and all that and i got well. one i was one of the first ones to jump on when they released it the uh better reproduction of bella lugosi's ring hmm. that has like carnelian stone and everything the newer ones are sort of like mock plastic but the one when they released it was you right know, expensive at the time but i was like you know what I, I need it 
So I got a copy of Bela Lugosi's ring. <laughs> Which you have, obviously, displayed somewhere in your home in mm-hmm. prominence, I'm sure. It's in its own little wooden coffin. That's <laughs> <laughs> Going back to my wife, again, <clears throat> she said one of the scariest movies she's ever seen was Nosferatu, mm-hmm. which was the original vampire silent film, yep. which I'm sure you would enjoy as well. Yeah, it was, it was It was a great film. I mean, it was, it was Dracula without, like, procuring the rights to Dracula. Hmm. You know, it was like follows the same story as Bram Stoker's Dracula, <clears throat> and they actually sued, hmm. and they tried to destroy most of the copies of Nosferatu because they produced it without talking to the Stoker family. Was it a German film? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So they thought maybe if they could do it overseas, then they would kind of get... They figured that nobody would... You know, I think that their idea was that they figured that nobody would pay attention. Right. And they would just release it. And, you know, who pays attention to horror films? I was going to say, that's got to be back in the 20s or 30s, probably early 30s, maybe? I think it was. No, well, the, well, the original Dracula came out in the 30s. Okay, so, so this was, was in the 20s. back in, like, 1920-something. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, still one of my favorites also. Uh, very scary movie. It was one of the first ones that actually showed the vampire uh, being affected by sunlight. Oh, that's true. <clears throat> because it was it's not in the actual real legends. You know, it's sort of like, you know, vampires are weakened by the sun, but they're not destroyed. But they weren't by destroyed the by it? No. It was you know, and it was like it wasn't it wasn't until Stoker that we came up with the uh uh water, you know, vampires can't cross running water because it represents purity and uh the wooden stake. Because originally it was you were pinned down to the ground with an iron bar and then they would behead the vampire instead of the stake but the stake represented in in stoker's story a part of like the true cross so it was like the ultimate good because it's a piece of wood from the cross oh so so there's actually a a relic from christianity it's it's a tie into the christianity like things yeah all of the all the metaphors like of vampires like our christianity uh concentrated the same thing with the mirror the mirror was a metaphor that if vampires went up to a mirror they wouldn't be able to see their reflection because they didn't have a soul so therefore Hmm. they can't see their reflection i I wondered about that it was a joke i said a long time ago that i wondered how a vampire could comb his hair Hmm. (laughs) or shave (laughs) without cutting himself it's like oh i can't see myself see the razor moving up and down but yeah (laughs) exactly or combing your hair that part's not quite straight i think what we what we do in shadows would be sort of like you know like their their action would be you know we have someone paint a picture of us and we we just copy the picture (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly there have been so many different uh movies of dracula and of course the twilight series of Mm -hmm. different vampires and everything so what was it that influenced you as far as developing Vlad the character? When I first started to think about a persona that would work for me, because the traditional archetypes for Bizarre Magic was a professor of arcane studies from Miskatonic University or a sorcerer, and none of those really responded to me. I didn't, you know, they didn't work well with my self image. And I thought about it and I said, well, what? archetype would work well and i didn't want to really be sort of a luciferian character so uh i came up with a vampire because i'm like i can be aristocratic right uh it's one of the supernatural archetypes that you know you're not a you're not a zombie so you're not mindless decaying thing you're not a werewolf so you don't go through a curse 
You know, you're you're yeah. not a mummy. You're not like a corpse. You're you're sort of you live forever in your own body, and all you have to do is once in a while drink a little blood. So it's not a bad trade. <laughs> but I said, you know, as a magician, and you make your own friends. Yeah, I said, I said, as a magician, let, let's look at that because everything that's tied to the mythos of a vampire, uh, you can control people's minds. Mm-hmm. You can transform into animals or mist. Uh, you can control the weather. You know, all of these things that are like things like that. And I said, now if a vampire happening to justify his existence over a long period of time that had to might have to talk to the IRS sometime, had to justify where their wealth came from, you could go, well, I'm an entertainer. And I mean, as a, as a sort of an inside joke for the vampire, how better a thing would be to go to an audience and do things that come from you naturally and they believe that these are some kind of like, you know, tricks Right, and you're like I'm doing them just because I can. You can do it, <laughs> but you're presenting them as if you're a an illusionist, a, a, a necromancer. Yeah, yeah just a, <laughs> a regular trickster. Yeah, if you will, kind of a thing. Funny. Yeah. So the character has already been built for you, so it's mm-hmm. not like you have to create your own legend, if you will. When I had Whit Hayden on some uh, ep- previous episode, he had created this character that many of us know as Pop Hayden, and he is someone who is a time traveling con man basically mm-hmm. from back in the 1800s he's got this whole background and legend that he had to build for himself yours on the other hand has essentially thanks to Bram Stoker and the cinema cinematic world has mm-hmm. kind of created for you you have to live within those the frameworks yeah yeah mm-hmm. Are, and because that they're a little bit different, as we were just discussing about whether you know about the the uh, the cross, the, the wood stake, and whether that the sunlight burns you or kills you or whatever, how do you address those kinds of questions that people ask you about that? Um, most of the time, you sort of just have to you know it's question, but they don't like barrage you with all of them at once. They'll just sort of go, "Well, don't crosses bother you?" And I go, "Some of us predate Christianity." <laughs> oh, what a great answer! <laughs> You know, and then it's like sort of like, you know, and they go, well, can't you go out? You know, you can't go out in the sunlight. And I go, who do you think invented sunblock? (laughs) (laughs) Which allows me to go out. Yeah. So it's sort of like you just have to like, you know, on the spur of the moment, think is that, you know, what would be the, you know. Natural response. And and that's the thing. I think when you have a character to be in the moment because that's the way that person with of that character would answer that question. Mm-hmm. And when you select material, though, you have to sort of think within that per, those parameters or the framework and mm-hmm. uh, know what the material, why would your, what you're presenting, why would your persona mm-hmm. present that? You know, and that's, I was always sort of trying to think, you know, and the only thing I could come up with, and it's sort of stretching it, you know, I always use the example of coins. I mean, coin magic is fantastic for the right person, you know, and it looks great, done well. Uh, but for me, I'm sort of like, why would I, you know, as an aristocratic vampire, you have people that take care of your money. Hmm. You never, you have a valet or somebody, you know, or a barrister that takes care of your money. You never touch the money. They do it for you. I go, so why would a token of a coin or something mean something, you know, and I go back to the like easy thing oh well it was maybe something that was left at the site of jack the ripper killings and i go it's too easy it's just too like you know i'm like so i need to come up with a better answer why it would mean something you know Mm -hmm. some kind of a a drawing 
you know, of a lost love or something means something. A box means something. Jewelry means something. You know, so all of those things have a meaning that you can tie to a story that evokes an emotion. But I'm like sort of like I can't find a hook where I'm like, why would a monetary thing mean something? Likewise with playing cards. I think it would be kind of difficult unless you're talking about a gambling theme and having been in the Old West or some place where maybe you you had been with uh, the royalty in Transylvania or someplace. Or- well, playing cards are symbolic imagery. So if I have somebody focus on something, I can have them easily. I go, well, if I ask you to imagine something, it could be anything in general. Mm-hmm. But we all have a common knowledge of what a playing card looks like. So to, I don't have to waste my time searching your mind and ripping it apart shred by shred. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the image of a card? Yeah. And then they go, oh, yeah, I can. Without <laughs> you know, having to produce a, a deck yeah. or whatever. You know, and it's like one of my routines, which I'm going to do tomorrow night, is a, a routine. It's basically at its core a torn and restored card effect. Mm-hmm. But – uh it uses the storyline of Countess Elizabeth Bathory and the premise of why I say, well, we need to do an offering. I'm imagining in this state we're in right now, it's still illegal if I mutilate you. So would you prefer we <laughs> mutilate something else instead? You know, and it's like half the time you get somebody who looks at you and they're like, I don't understand the question. I go, if I were you, I'd think very carefully because the rest of the audience is voting for the mutilation. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But you ultimately are going to be the one making the decision. Yeah. Despite whatever the Democratic uh, vote might come in. And then then it sort of gives you a reason to produce the cards because you're going to mutilate the cards instead of them. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's sort of like I... I very cursorily go through and have them select a card, and it ends up at the end being held by the hand of my dearly departed cousin that I yanked through a wall. Like, if you know the Elizabeth Bathory story, yeah. it was walled up. So I'm like, it's very hard to get an entire body through a wall. So all I could get was the hand. And, oh, it looks like she has something for you. And there's the three-quarters of the card held by the skeleton hand. Ah. Interesting. Good presentation (laughs) of that. In keeping with you as a a vampire, are there times or places where you go that you are in character? Again, going back to when I was talking with Pop Hayden, Mm -hmm. where he has affected this accent, which he was not born with, but he affected then later as part of his character, lives that all the time, mm-hmm. just as he, he is attired in older style clothing. I know whenever I see you, you're always dressed impeccably like a, a, a wealthy vampire. <laughs> I try. I try. And sort of like, I mean, you know, when I live my everyday life, when I'm not on the clock, you know, then I can dress down a little bit. But, uh, you know, every other time I, I sort of, you know, it, it was that was one of the early things that was hammered into my mind from from two sources one was from lee earl yeah and the other one was from jeff and lee earl just said you know if you want to make more money you look like you need to dress like you deserve to earn it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and he was like you know if you start getting into mentalism the money that you're not spending on boxes you will spend on like your attire good point and uh jeff always said if you're going to be a professional magician you always look like you need to dress like you're going somewhere better 
Hmm, going somewhere better. I like that. That's very true. I remember talking with Terry Seabrook years ago, and he was in Houston, and we were working the Magic Island together. And there was a tuxedo place, Al's Formalware, that was having a warehouse sale. And I said, let's go down and uh, get a new or a used tuxedo that's practically brand new, just this last year's style. And uh, he said, no. He said, I'm, I'm fine. He said, I, I'll, I'll go with you, but I'm not going to buy anything. I said, why? He said, oh, I get my, my tuxedos fitted uh, in, in London on Bond Street. <laughs> and I said, well, that's going to be pretty expensive. He said, yes, but I want to look good because mm-hmm. if you look good, you feel good. you feel good, you're going to do good. You're going to perform well. And also you have that look and style and appearance that's like this guy is successful. You can mm-hmm. tell. I was watching a movie uh, when Bruce Willis was in this, and I thought, man, that is a good-looking suit. It's something that just popped. You can tell if it's a good suit. Then later – about half hour into it, he was talking about this being an Armani suit, and I thought, knew it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, just you can tell if it's a good-looking suit or one that's kind of shiny that's a yeah. cheap suit. It's sort of, you know, and it's people go, where do you get your clothing? I go, I have to piece by piece find it, you know, at Victorian recreation places or, you know, hmm. places that do steampunk or, you know, gothic clothing places and sort of pit pick the outfits together and put them, you know, piece by, you just don't get things off the rack, you know. <laughs> See, I thought what you were going to answer there was, well, I got them piece by piece as people pass. I just got them from their coffin. <laughs> then you have the they sort of the smell, stench of death sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they don't need it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and over the, the years. with that is when you find them on corpses, usually they're cut up the back. Oh, so. that's true. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. It's true. I was going to ask you further about uh, something you had mentioned to me earlier about uh, living. I'm surprised you didn't say, how do you? know that <laughs> <laughs> i i thought that would just seem like as common knowledge but yeah. now that you mentioned it probably isn't yeah, but no. it's just so the suits always fit right when they're in their coffin right mm-hmm. that's what that the yep, so uh, they can adjust them the caretaker yep. undertakers will yep. yeah they can adjust them a lot better because they're not going to roll over and yep. you're going to look at the back yep. whatever hopefully they don't sit up <laughs> it's a whole other story yep. have you ever gone to a, a funeral dressed as or kind of in as uh, as flawed i haven't had anyone that's sort of uh in the trade i mean that's why i want to be like i'm saying people who are in the vampire business or vampire world if you will i know they're we're going to get to that in a second but uh who might have had a funeral where you have gone i mean i went to a funeral where a guy loved wearing hawaiian shirts Mm -hmm. and so his widow had asked everyone not to dress up but if you got a hawaiian shirt please wear it and the Mm -hmm. church was just filled with people wearing hawaiian shirts yeah so likewise if someone was a vampire aficionado if they had people who would come dressed like that. I've gone, to mem- I've gone to memorial services dressed, you know, this way. Okay. But most of the time, they, they don't really have funerals. Gothic funerals? Um, most of the people that I've known in the Gothic community that unfortunately had to go to more memorial things were people that committed suicide. Mm. So they didn't really. They were sort of like... Mm. Got it. Had their thing and then were cremated or something. And sure. Had like a memorial service. A smaller service. You know, and mm-hmm. then you go to that and then you would where you retire, but, you know, not an actual, you know, I, guess, I suppose most of them probably don't have a real good relationship with the church in general anyway, so they wouldn't, you know. <laughs> Is there a difference between goth style and steampunk or, or kind of, uh, well, I guess, uh, not steampunk, but really kind well, of a uh, Steampunk is sort of Victorian Jules Vernean, you know, it's, right. it's like a science fiction version of Victorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, gothic now, you know, years ago there was one style of gothic. <clears throat> now it's sort of broken off into 
you know, everybody wants to be subcategories of things. So there are like romantic goths, like Victorian hmm. goths, you know, uh, raver raver goths, you know, techno goths. So there are all these sub branches of you know sub branches of a subculture, huh. which is sort of weird, but. Is it the same thing with vampires? Do they have, or are there vampires, vampires? Um, I mean, you have the people that sort of like sparkly vampires, the Twilight people, but, okay. uh, you know, and then you have, um, there's usually like the neo goths are sort of the ones that would do like you would expect from like the Matrix, like that type of dress. Oh, okay. Longer cloaks, uh, yeah, like dusters. Like vinyl and things oh, like that, oh, oh. like sort of futuristic wear. Okay. You know, trench coats, like things like that, vinyl, mm -hmm. leather, latex. Uh, and romantigots are people you would sort of imagine in a Byron novel, you know, sort of poet shirts and, and dress like that. Uh, you know, I would fit into more like the Victorian or the classic you know sort of okay you're comfortable in moving in that world yeah basically. it was sort of like you know more of the you know victorian edwardian look rather than you know i think you know i'm not i don't look good in latex <laughs> i don't want to imagine that yeah, even no. i don't want to yeah. have that vision <laughs> most of the people i've dated don't want to imagine either, so. <laughs> i remember going to i was working at uh, monday night magic in new york a long time ago and Anyhow, afterwards, we got off for breakfast, and one of the, somebody said, hey, it's it's midnight. Uh, anybody go want to go with me? It uh, Tonight is, let me see if I can say this right, um, midget lesbian vampire night over at such and such a bar. <laughs> I said, what? And they said, I mean, how specific can you be? I mean, how many of there are there, you know? And he said, well, enough that they have, you know, something once a month, and this is, you know, tonight, tonight. I, I didn't go, and I kind of regret yeah. it. It's like, well, I would like to have seen what the heck that was all about. I mean, the, the gothic vampire culture was huge in New York City. You know, there were, there were big parties at, like, Limelight and The Bank and, you know, where there were all kinds of big, giant nightclubs. I mean, we actually, I was performing at one of the vampire clubs in, in New York City, a place called Mother which was on 14th in Washington. Mm -hmm. And uh, that closed down like at, you know, at the end of the night, it was about probably four o'clock in the morning. And it just so happened. I was laughing because Jeff was talking about David Blaine doing the Buried Alive. Right. And that was right up off of like. Near the bar. Or the the West Side Highway. Okay. You know, was right off of there. So I decided with five or six vampire friends to go up there and you could actually peer down and see David Blaine in the coffin. Like when he was in there. And I go, how much fun is it going to be for five or six <laughs> vampires to be peering down at David Blaine? Barry? And him looking up going, what the <laughs> heck? Have, has it happened? Is this the end? <laughs> I was like, we just need to do it just to say we and? did. And did you? We did. We oh. did. We went up there. And was, uh, I should have had someone take pictures. but you know, I'm so. surprised there wasn't someone there from the media who was uh, taking a picture. They were probably like, we funny. don't want to see. We don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's before dawn. We don't want to know. <laughs> was it dark? I mean, was it? Uh, it was still dark because it was about 3 or three or 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So it was like pre pre-sunrise so. right right so what is that world a certain say underworld or that world like in new york i'm assuming there are i mean like when i see this on television shows or movies they have special blood oriented drinks at the bar or something or uh, they, they mimic like sort of yeah. blood blood things or sort of you know bloody marys and, yeah. and we used to have a thing that was called the blood bath which was one of my favorite mm. that's the name of the drink yeah yeah, and it was it was uh, 
It had Merlot, Chambord, and a splash of cranberry. Okay. And, so, and you liked it. It was tasty. Very, yeah, it was very tasty. You know, sort of like it was, you know, the dryness of the Merlot and, you know, it was like the sort of like sweetness of the raspberry and, and things like that. You know, so. I recall <laughs> I wasn't at the early weird weekends. Did you go to some of those with Tony Andrews? I went to, and not to, not to the invocations or, invocations. The, you know, not, not to any of the, I went to several of the last Doc Hilford weird weekends, but not the invocations. Okay. And I was, I sort of was really, you know, I just didn't know about them in time. I was, you know, involved, but I didn't know about them to be able to go to Chicago to, mm-hmm. you know, find out about them. Because I'd heard that Tony Andrusi was the one who really kind of got things going with that first invocation because mm-hmm. they, they knew they wanted to have something, and then when they got together, they didn't know what it was. And I I cannot recall what it was that he had said but stood up and said something to the effect of let the satanic worship begin or something weird like that. I, think. I mean, he he lived the, the imagery of, you know, mm-hmm. he went from Tom Palmer, which was, you know, a, a comedy, comedy magician. Who inspired Johnny Thompson yeah, and the to, great Tom to being mm-hmm. Tony Andruzzi. And, you know, his comment was, you know, you need to live the character 36 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I might be off on the hours, but it was sort, <laughs> it was sort of that, you know. <laughs> And I, I never got to... I understand, 110%. Yeah, I never got to meet him. Um, and I sort of discussed this at mystery school with Eugene. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I really would have loved it. And he goes, oh, Tony would have loved you. And, you know, and he goes, next time I see you, I'll have something for you. I go, okay. And so next time I saw Eugene, after we talked, he came up and he goes, these are for you. And I'm like, what are they? And he goes, well, this is the scroll... And these are, this is the Grimoire of the Mages. Wow. And uh, the Grimoire of the Mages was a book that Tony would make, and he would actually, yes. like, hand print and everything. And he, he made, goes, like, a dozen of those or something. And he goes, these are the ones Tony made for me. Wow. And he goes, but I think Tony would have wanted you to have them. Wow. And I'm like, oh, coming from Eugene, that a gift was from Tony Andruzzi to him, yeah. and he's passing them on to me. I was like, is this like the Thurston cloak? You know, he's what being, a gift. like the mantle is passed on. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I recall that being advertised and how rare that was and very expensive, and I thought, well, first of all— Because he never printed them. He would actually no. block, like, silkscreen the book, and then, like, the ones I have, like, instead of actually having pictures printed in— he would actually take real photographs and hand cut them and glue them into the page. Hmm. So each one was actually hand constructed. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, this is an amazing like labor of love to create these, you know? And it's right. like, and, and that was, I think, his thing. It was sort of like, you know, if you make a magical artifact, it should be something that's imbued with you, and hmm. you know it should be meaningful rather than just mass produced. Right. But, so that's one of another one of your very important pieces you have. Yeah, it's sort of like you know, it's, it's like one of the mementos, you know, because a came, you know, it was it was something that Tony made for Eugene, and b right. because Eugene gave it to me. I mean, Eugene, I sort of look at Eugene and Jeff and Max as sort of my early mentors. Right. So, you know. 
Hopefully, I've taken a little piece of each of them. Have you helped with any of the Magic Mystery Schools? Uh, I was involved in all of the Mystery Schools that were in New York in the beginning. Okay. So, as a instructor, a facilitator, yeah. Okay. Because so, I know he yep. had some outside people who, yep. and I wondered, okay, yep. that you were doing that. So we had ahead. to sort of talk him down because the original first one, like Jeff, wanted to do everything, hmm. and it was sort of like we finally said, you know, like. There are several of us that have been here more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to, like, take some of the weight off of your, you know, let us do things. Yeah. And then he eventually went, oh, okay. You know, it was sort of like he had, we had to give him permission to ask. And it was like, then we started, you know, doing more presenting things and stuff within the mystery school. But it was like, because he at first, he was like, I need to do this, this, and this. And I was like, you don't need to do everything. Like, relax. You know, like Vince. You know, it's like Vince wants to, you know. <laughs> yeah, be eighty-five places. So. Right. Yeah, Vince Wilson is with, with the uh, Pose Magic Conference as pretty much hands-on, and he does a little bit of everything. So yeah. that's what you're referring to over there. That's that's true. Um, so you had not attended the invocation, but uh, you did attend a few of the weird weekends that Doc. Hilford yeah, a couple did of ones Doc Hilper did, and one yeah. of the ones I laughed because I, you know, I remember it was I think it was the last one he did was then uh, the two that I went to were in Stewart, Florida. And mm-hmm. uh, near where he lived, yeah, or lives, and and one of the ones like that was I think the last one. I say I was talking to By- 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 Byron Gray, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, "Oh, were you there the year like we were there right after the hurricane?" Yeah, and he goes, "I don't know, I don't remember that." I go, "Oh, you would because uh, most of the hotel was intact, but some of it wasn't." I said, "In the section that Doc put us in, you had to walk through like there was part of the outside building was missing. Wow, and there were like." plastic drop cloths on the side and you had to like walk through that to get to your room and i'm like are our, our rooms gonna be like underwater or something oh man <laughs> and he's like no it's structurally sound i go oh, that's great i love that description <laughs> structurally sound yeah <laughs> okay so were those weird weekends the kind of things where you were performing uh they had lectures were they more workshops or what a little uh, bit of all of that okay i mean there were workshops and there were performances and there were lectures the the last one he did all with an emphasis towards bizarre bizarre yeah 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 and i know the last one he did he wanted to do for the people at the the conference or convention um or weekend however you wanted to do it he wanted to do a big recreation of a spook show Mm -hmm. so we had for us to see and for like the general public to see so we were mixed in with a regular audience Right. And he had this big thing. And he went around to several of us that, you know, he knew he could trust. And he's like, I'm going to give you rice and I'm going to give you water guns. And uh, oh. when, when they have the blackout, I'm going to have the thing and go, you know, oh, the beast from, you know, Planet X is in the audience. And uh, uh, you, you can feel the maggots dropping off of its decaying <laughs> corpse. And, oh, watch out. The victim is going to be, you know, he's decapitated and the blood sprays out in the audience. And, of course, you know, we're throwing rice on people right. and, like, you know, squirting them at water guns. But, right. you know. In the dark. All for effect. That's it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that kind of freaked out a few people, I'm sure, then as well. Yeah. Um, one last thing. It was interesting to know about what vampires talk about with one another. Everything, including horror films, literature, music, um, art. You know, I mean, there you, there's no, like, vampire religion. It's sort of like so. Yeah, but when you go to these vampire clubs or mm-hmm. wherever, like when you were in New York, you were talking about that earlier, and sticking around till 2 or 3 in the morning, you're not just sitting there drinking 
these moonlight m- m- uh, mimosas all night no. long or anything. <laughs> We're not drinking tequila sunrises. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, I would think you have some things in common of like different stories of what some people have done. I mean, some of them are nightclub type atmospheres too. So it's like sort of like there's a section where there's loud music and people are dancing. Um, Certain parts where people are going to make out, um, Mm -hmm. you know, certain sections where people are sitting and talking. And so there's different sections depending on what your Mm -hmm. desire is, you know, it's like, but you know, it's more more or less regular conversation. It's you know, just you know literature, things like that. That's know. what I was wondering, as far yeah. as what the conversations were amongst uh, people in that world, if they are talking about their character and about some other books. As you talking about some, well, most of the people don't perceive it as a character. It's it's huh, a it's lifestyle. lifestyle. It is so. It's like sort of like you know someone that's living the life of you know a a renaissance person or, you know, there are people that belong to was it the society of creative acronism, mm-hmm. you know, and when they go out, they sort of live the life. And, you know, some of the people there, I mean, there are people that, you know, of course you're going to come into like in the vampire, you know, not to probably turn off some of your audience, but you know, there are people in a vampire community that are people that actually partake in exchanging, you know, blood, you know, which is not a good idea these days, nope. not, you know, not safe in any way right. in form. But, um, you know, so there are some people that are like that. Um, Mm -hmm. There are people that, you know, feel a connection to the mythos. Mm -hmm. And there are people that they call lifestylers. And that's just they live that lifestyle. And then there are other people that are sort of, you know, people that are just fascinated with the imagery. You know, so they'll go there. I mean, I, you know go there because it's just something that i'm drawn to and it's like part of my persona so Mm -hmm. you know when i'm there i get to perform and i do the other things so you know we were talking before we began recording here about bella lugosi how Mm -hmm. that he lived that lifestyle apparently to to the point where as i understand it he was living in or sleeping in a coffin and he had a coffin but he wasn't i don't you know most of the time it's like most people don't think he really slept in it i think he had it for like it was sort of an imagery thing. An he wanted it, and he felt comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he slept in it. Um, I know he did tell them that you know when he died, he wanted to be buried in his you know outfit that he wore in the movie. You know, yeah. his, his costume. You know, um, you know that's it was just sort of a, such a hard, a long part of his life. You know, he did Dracula on Broadway. Uh, he did Dracula, I think, mm. in London, like as, you know, a stage production. Um, he did the films. So it was part of his, such a tied part of his life. I mean, but when we go back, like, you know, Lugosi did a wide range of things that didn't involve Dracula. That's true. Like in Hungary, like he did Jesus as a play. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was like, there's pictures of him wow. portraying Jesus. So Bella Lugosi as Jesus, man, yep. that's a... <laughs> Then playing the Antichrist, then later. <laughs> That'll wow. twist your entire image of him. <laughs> I would say so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know there have been various people down through time since Bell Lugosi also who have starred as Dracula, like uh, even Tom Cruise. And mm-hmm. there's a new series on TV called Interview with the Vampire, which uh, goes back to, the, well, it's actually Anne Rice's Interview mm-hmm. with the Vampire that they're remaking or have remade mm-hmm. into a, a, a series. Is there a particular actor that you feel has nailed it or was bell lugosi like the guy i think bell lugosi was you know i mean there yeah there were there were a number of people we we even went on the ghost tour and jack palance played dracula Um, i forgot about that and then john carradine played dracula Mm -hmm. vincent price did it for like a couple of small performances 
um, <laughs> on the Muppets too. He was a vampire on the Muppets. Yeah. Um, I think to me, like Lugosi is probably like the king, and then right very closely, like be like next to him would be Christopher Lee. Mm, okay. You know, just because of his presence. Yeah. And as far as an actor that's, you know, mastered many different roles, you know, from Sauron, from Lord of the Rings to, mm-hmm. you know, everything, you know. And then later in life, you know, I forget how old he was, but here he is, you know, a Shakespearean actor that, that sung a heavy metal album. Well, he was in The Man's Golden Gun yeah. with uh, also. Scaramanga, Scaramanga, I think that's yeah. right, in James Bond movie. Yeah. yeah. So he's done a little bit of everything. Were those the Hammer films that he was in? Yeah. 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 When we say Hammer Films, that was the production company that uh, that was a Pinehurst Studios was the which was over in England. Yeah, which, yeah. which is why I guess he was uh, a shoe in for the Bond films since they did all the movies over Bond with over the Pinehurst yeah. Studios then as well. Yeah. Now we're kind of getting deep into <laughs> inside baseball over here for some people who don't know or care about. <laughs> so, They're like we don't even know who Hammer Films are. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't know, don't care. So listen, this has been just uh, delightful, uh, Vlad, to uh, talk with you uh, and to get to know more about your background, but more importantly about kind of this different world uh, mm-hmm. that you've created around you or have joined, I should say, because the world that was there, you just kind of easily stepped into it. Yeah, I, I twisted it to my own evil usage. <laughs> <laughs> and have uh, perform- and been able to do magic and, and make it make sense also mm-hmm. with that kind of a... Uh, as you say, gothic overtones. I, I sort of, you know, I felt that that was, it was an imagery that people understood and it mm-hmm. immediately brought together a mind image. You know, they're like eerie, melancholy, you know, castles and, you know, walks on the moor and, you know, the right. moon shrouded nights. Dark. I'm like, there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so as we close, the uh, name of my podcast is called The Magic Word. So I always like to know, what is it that's your philosophy of life? Uh, be true to yourself. You know, don't don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything. Just be true to if you desire it and want to achieve it, make sure you go for your dream. And you're living proof of that. As you had said, people had discouraged you when you were young, and look, you have accomplished what you set out to do. That's great. Vlad, thanks very much. It's been awesome. It's a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And so for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Vlad. Happy Halloween. (laughs) This is Scotty out. Well, that certainly was a first. <laughs> I don't uh, think, well, I know I haven't interviewed in a, in a vampire before, so that was my first. Will it be my last? Well, he's the only one I know, so unless there's another one out there, perhaps, well, I think he said the final word on all that. <laughs> so I hope you've enjoyed this Halloween season that we have presented you beginning at the 1st of October here with some ghost tours, a couple of them. And then we had an interview with a wizard and then an interview with a witch. And then finally, this interview with a vampire, something entirely different than we usually present you. But it is the month of boo. And I hope that you have enjoyed our friendly interludes and discussions with all of these friends with an alternate type of presentation they give for their magic. (laughs) 
it was a lot of fun. And uh, I would like to hear from you, by the way. And I had mentioned sometime before about a feature that is on the website called SpeakPipe. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E, SpeakPipe. And if you go to the MagicWordPodcast.com website, there is a link there, a little logo that says SpeakPipe. And if you click on that, you can leave a voice message and I will get back to you. And if it's interesting enough, I might just even post that on one of the upcoming podcasts. So please leave your comments in writing, or if you don't want to write it down, you can speak it through SpeakPipe. Just again, go to themagicwordpodcast.com and there you will see the link for SpeakPipe. Please leave us your comment there. Also, be sure to subscribe to the pod letter, so that way you know who's coming up from week to week, and also suggestions from the archives. And if you have a little bit of time, I would certainly appreciate you leaving a five-star review and some kind comments on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. So we're going to get back next week in November with our regular schedule kinds of podcasts. And in fact, although I normally don't uh, mention this, I will tell you now what is going to be coming up next week. And we're going to be attending the TRICS convention. That's the T-R-I-C-S, the Tri-C's, the three C's, which is a Carolina close-up convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, that is hosted by Scott Robinson. I attended last year, and it is a great convention and a lot of fun. Looking forward to going and seeing a lot of my friends there and meeting some new friends. I found last year when I went, golly, I didn't know probably 80% of the people there. So many young people who are getting involved with our organization of magic, I should say our art of magic, and they're doing some great things there. And so I'm going to be taking some time to uh, visit with them uh, next week. And so there will not be a podcast released on next Thursday, which is our regular scheduled time, because I'll be traveling on that day. And there are a few activities that are happening that Thursday night. But the main bulk of the activities on the first day really is going to be on Friday. So I will combine the few activities on Thursday night along with what's happening on Friday in the first of two daily updates from the convention next week. So again, nothing coming out Thursday. The next one will be coming out, who knows, late Friday night or early Saturday morning, whatever time that I can get these things uh, put together and posted and updated. So this way, again, you have fresh information as if that you're actually being there. Next best thing to being at a convention. So until next week, stay well, get booked, And remember to be true to yourself and don't let people tell you that you can't do something because you should go for your dreams. This is Scotty out.